San Diego First Church family, congregation, it is once again good to be with you. My name is Pastor Matt Wilson, and I am one of the pastors here on staff at San Diego First Church. And uh, this is our uh, Connecting Points podcast, in which we try to connect the Sunday sermon to some of the other lectionary texts that uh, are a part of the readings for this last week. Uh, specifically, um, uh, we uh, were in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4, the first part of that, B, to verse 14. Um, but uh, if you were there on Sunday, I had us go back a little further, include uh, all of uh, the beginning of chapter 3 as a part of our interpretation of the text. Um, I think that's also relevant in uh, this passage, these two passages um, that I'm going to read for us and discuss a little bit um, when it comes to what what Paul is saying in Philippians that I, I, I talked about on Sunday, but also how we might interpret these two other passages. And they are... Uh, once you once I have them read, you'll notice why that is the case, why they are so close to each other. Um, the two passages, the first passage is from the Old Testament. It's from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. I'll read the Isaiah chapter 5 passage first. This is Isaiah chapter 5, starting in verse 1 through verse 7. It says this. This is from the NRSV version. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard, on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make waste. Oh, excuse me. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they not that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness but heard a cry. This is the word of the Lord from Isaiah. And here is uh, the companion piece from Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 33, going to verse 46. 
Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. And when the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves, his servants, and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes... What will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on his stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone to whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. And they wanted to arrest them. But they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The word of the Lord. You have in these two passages uh, some very intense metaphors. Certainly the central metaphor is that of a vineyard. And uh, of, of something that um, is clearly an investment uh, the land that is being produced and the, the time and effort and the, uh, the human power it took to create a vineyard, to take all the rocks and stones out of it, to, um, to dig a, a vat, dig the, the complex necessary to uh, not just harvest this, uh, this vineyard, but also store the wine and to... Uh, produce uh, something that was beneficial to the community, that was beneficial to um, to the owner. It takes a, a, a huge investment, and you see that that in, that level of investment, that level of care, that level of protection that God had given in the land, creating a watchtower, creating a hedge, right? This protection. And so this prophet in Isaiah is clearly saying that the land had been misused. That God had poured effort and investment into the land. And yet what was produced was wild grapes. Not what the the owner of the land had expected. Not what God had thought what his return would be. And so the, the land, the vineyard is destroyed. The hedge taken off. And notice in the passage that what is what is the, the, the issue? Verse 7. 
For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah and are his pleasant planting. And yet he expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry, a lament. It's fascinating that uh, what God expected from his investment, his effort into cultivating this land, this land that is the people of Israel, was justice and was righteousness. But what he returned, what was produced, was bloodshed and was the cry of lament, the cry out to God. Clearly a cry that is a cry of injustice, a cry that of, of disobedience to what God had intended for the people of Israel. And on the other hand, now looking at the Matthew passage, Matthew takes this parable, Jesus teaches this parable in a very similar way, but shifts some of the, the actors in it. Instead of the land not producing, the land produces what it should. And when God sends his servants to reap the harvest, it is those who God entrusted with the land that have now uh, done violence, not just to God's servants, but in this parable, to the owner, uh, to the son of the owner of the land. That it's not necessarily the land that is of issue, but it is those who have were in charge of cultivating the land, developing it, uh, seek to flourish the the. Uh, that which God had entrusted. And rather than let the produce go to the landowner, those tenants took what God had intended for them, for, for the world, <laughs> for all of creation, and took it for themselves. And you see that there is this mistrust, this consequence in both of these these scriptures, so as similar as they are, of a judgment on those who did not maintain what God had intended of creation and manipulated it, exploited it for their own gain, but not to what God had intended. That this is not the way that God had intended his community to act in both Isaiah and in Matthew. What's interesting in Matthew is you get kind of this editorial note that uh, when Jesus gives these parables in chapter 21, this one specifically, that the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite at the time, took this as an insult, took this as Jesus's condemnation of their keeping of, of what God had given, that they were the evil tenants uh, crushing those that God had sent, the land owner had sent to tend to uh, the produce. It's really interesting in that you have these two scriptures in combination with what Philippians says about those who come into the community who are evildoers, Paul calls them dogs. Those who are insisting on a 
Christian adherence to the law. To that which is a showing of uh, that you are, specifically circumcision, that you are uh, doing this thing to make sure that you are a part of the community. I don't think it's too far of a leap to see Philippians, Isaiah, and Matthew saying very similar things to those who are entrusted with producing uh, good fruit, that are entrusted with cultivating the creation God had entrusted them to. And you know, what we see is a series of judgments for those who are gatekeeping. The servants try to go, those serving the landowner try to go to the land to reap the harvest. But they are not just refused by the evil tenants, the gatekeepers to this land. Not only refused, those servants are beaten and killed, stoned. And even though the landowner, God, sends more servants, those evil tenants, those gatekeepers, beat those servants. It's very prescient (laughs) that in our own contexts, where we see so much of across denominations of authorities and gatekeepers squashing transparency. I think of, I think specifically of another uh, Christian denomination, that of the Southern Baptist Convention, which have had a chance, several chances to really be transparent about the abuse that took place in their churches and the, the need to reckon with what has taken place. But instead of reckoning with the abuse that had taken place in their congregation, they doubled down and got rid of many of the leadership that were pushing for that type of transparency. Now, not every Southern Baptist Convention church did that, but certainly the denomination itself did that. I wonder about my own life and as someone who uh, would probably tend to look more like a religious elite, somebody who is a pastor, who is educated, who cares deeply, deeply about the scripture, are there times that I gatekeep in a way that weaponizes God's love for a bad produce? What I mean is this. Are there things that I do, the tradition that I've been handed, the ways that I've been taught to interpret scripture. Are there ways that I use them for my own benefit, for my own authority, for my own wanting who's in and who's out, rather than being a steward for what God has entrusted me or people like me? To steward well and to allow the land, to allow God's reign I mean that in two ways, the physical rain, that is water from the sky, and God's rain, as in God's kingdom, to allow God's rain, God's spirit, 
to do what it desires rather than imposing my own litmus test or my own way of thinking about what we should do with what God has intended for us rather than opening up and allowing people in allowing people to see the the transparency allow to see the inner workings of what's going on and not be so tight-fisted around power and authority and who's in and who's out that's what strikes me in thinking about Philippians in combination with the other two lectionary passages, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, and Matthew chapter 21, 33 through 46. I look forward to hearing what you think of these connections. What pops out to you in reading these three texts in combination? I hope you're all well, and I hope you continue to listen and enjoy what we're doing here at San Diego First Church.